The year is 1996, and I just landed in the grand metropolis of New York City. The moment we step off the plane and my little feet hit the pavement, I drop my suitcase and cross myself. Gracias, tío. I whisper under my breath. On the plane ride, I'd ask my dad, if the plane gets in an accident, will we all die? To which he casually replied, duh. The remainder of the flight was spent in silent prayer, my gaze affixed to the ominous, boundless ocean beneath us. Despite my basic knowledge of the English language, I feel more comfortable speaking my native tongue. I was born in Italy and have spent the last few years in Saronno, a small town in the province of Varese, where the city eerily feels like the remnants of what was once a charming little town. But I see past the shitty graffiti coating the pastel pink colored walls. To me, it's home. I'm no stranger to the sprawling city. I've already been here more times than I can count. I was two months old the first time we made the transatlantic trek to visit my dad's family. I even lived here for a while before disaster struck. But today feels like the very first time. It's like I'm seeing this place through brand new eyes. And after the mess that went down last time, this is a fresh start, a chance to wipe the slate clean and try again. It's early September and the humidity hangs heavy in the air, clinging to my skin like a sweet, sticky veil. As soon as I step outside, I'm hit by a wave of commotion that overwhelms each of my senses. Everyone talks so loud and they're not polite at all. Whether they're greeting each other or telling each other to get the fuck out of the way, they make sure to cause a scene. I wave at the strange people passing by, and they stare back at me with confusion and alarm. Do I know you? One woman demands. My dad yanks me away and tells me to stop doing that. This is going to be a tough habit to break. I can't imagine walking past someone without acknowledging them. Not to mention, it's rude. But I don't say this out loud. I keep my observations to myself. I just nod, trying my best to absorb any little bit of information to make this transition easier for him. My dad summons a yellow taxi cab with a wave of his hand as if he were a magician. He tosses my little red suitcase stuffed with my most precious possessions into the trunk and I climb onto the tan leather seats that are cracked and reek of cigarette smoke. My dad tells him the address, and the driver, sporting a turban and aviator sunglasses, lets out a thick cloud of smoke. Fifty bucks. Fifty bucks? My dad shakes his head. As we sit in silence, crossing the boroughs on our way to Manhattan, I immediately notice how all the billboards advertising movies depict guns and violence, and strangely, there's no naked women. In Italy, it's perfectly normal to glance up at a billboard and have a big pair of bronzed, oily tits successfully sell you sunscreen at 8 a.m. on a January morning. Everything is so colossal here. The towering buildings cast shadows that stretch as far as my wide eyes can see, while the people, who look nothing alike, bustle around as if part of some grand dance. I'm a provincial girl from a small town where everything seems miniature in comparison. I feel miniature too, but not in an insignificant way. I feel small in a way that feels exciting, like I have yet to be discovered. My dad aggressively thumbs his beeper, mumbling under his breath, while I roll down the window and stick my head all the way out. I take a deep inhale as the warm, jagged air smacks me in the face, instantly recognizing the unique blend of roasted peanuts, molten concrete, and car exhaust that triggers my memory. 
I know this smell. Before I can immerse myself in the familiar scent, I'm interrupted by my dad pulling me back in by the back of my collar. I don't like how he's always yanking me around. The ride feels forever long as the car crawls through the gridlocked rush hour streets. I squirm in the back seat, fidgeting with my bracelet, the gold nameplate that reads Julia that was placed on my wrist at birth. The countless lanes and vast sea of cars overwhelm me. Too many ways to go, I think. The thought of getting lost in this concrete maze sends shivers down my spine. I gulp down the thought and ignore the fact that I'm starting to feel insignificant and inconsequential, even a nuisance, perhaps. We finally pull up to a towering building, its rusty gray bricks adorned in scaffolding and an emerald green awning with big faded bronze letters on it. The glass doors swing open and a jolly man with a mustache emerges, eager to assist my dad with the suitcases. Javier, this is my daughter, Julia. She's going to be staying here for a while. Javier sticks his hand out and says, Hola, Julia. I giggle. I've never heard my name pronounced like that before. Before I forget, this is your address now, if you ever get lost. My dad points to the green street signs on the corner. Before I can read them, he's already disappeared inside the building. I can tell my dad isn't used to having kids around because I'm constantly jogging behind him to keep up. Once inside, he calls the elevator, and after a few seconds of waiting, he gets impatient and leads me up the service stairs. I trail behind him, up, down, the long, windy corridor, all the way to apartment 2F. Without unlocking the door first, he swings it open and shouts, We're home! I'm shocked and ask him, You don't lock the door? He shrugs and replies, We got nothing of value here. What about me? I think to myself. In Italy, Grandpa locked and bolted every orifice of our little apartment at sundown, and we certainly didn't have anything of value in that apartment either. I don't fully trust him, but I'm left with no other option. I accept his answer and immediately shift my attention back to my brand new home. The room is covered in sheets of plastic, shielding the furniture from paint splatter, and the smell of paint is overpowering, but the sunlight streaming in from the windows floods the room with warmth. My dad takes me on a grand tour of the place, beaming with pride. It's not very big, but it feels massive to me. I've never lived anywhere that had a hallway before. Once we get to the end of the corridor, he announces, I saved the best for last, your very own bedroom. He pushes the door open, and there, perched atop of a ladder, is a man in a beret, nonchalantly painting clouds on the ceiling. My eyes widen and a flush spreads across my cheeks. This is too good to be true. I've never seen anything more exquisite in my life, but mostly, I'm overjoyed to finally have a room of my own, like the kids on TV. I never had the luxury of solitude at my grandpa's. In fact, I was never alone. We were quite literally on top of each other, crammed into the same small one-bedroom apartment my mom grew up in. My brother and I shared the living room with grandpa, and if our mom was home, my brother would sleep on the pull-out couch in her room with her. She was rarely home before bedtime, though. When the clock struck midnight and she still hadn't returned, I'd frantically dial her cell number on the old rotary phone until she picked up, just to hear her voice and make sure she was alive. The passing headlights outside only added to my restlessness as I watched each car pass by, desperately hoping to see hers. She worked as a nurse and was studying to become a psychologist with no money, two little kids, and a certifiably insane baby daddy a thousand miles away. 
so I can't blame her for her late nights. The nights spent at home with Grandpa were always a blast. He would make a sabaglione with eggs and sugar and put on Lucio Battisti's music. I'd make him record me dancing on his old camcorder as I choreographed my own dance routines. He adored old Western movies, and I'd always have to wait until he was snoring, and then I'd change the channel to sneakily watch the trashy late-night game shows. As cramped as it was living with Grandpa, at least it was safe. The last time I was in New York, we were homeless. How it happened is hazy, but I vividly remember bouncing around between the homes of various family members and friends. The fighting, the chaos, and the tears are seared into my memory. The worst place we stayed was a dingy squat house in Chinatown where over 20 people slept on mats all over the floor. A fight broke out while I was asleep, and when I woke up in the morning, there was a thick puddle of what looked to be blood on the floor by the entrance. Without a word, my dad swiftly scooped me up and we rode away on his bicycle, never to return, and we never spoke of it again. After that, we began sleeping at my dad's job sites. One of them was a beautiful townhouse on the Upper West Side with arched doorways and a fireplace. It was Christmas time, and while the family who owned the place was away on vacation, they hired my dad to do a partial renovation. Little did they know, my dad moved us all in on the first day of the job. Things were running smoothly at first, and my parents even cuddled on the couch by the fire in the evenings as the snow piled up outside. I didn't care that it wasn't technically our house. It was so fun playing pretend and I was just grateful we were all finally under the same roof. But soon, Mom's mood turned, as it always did. I guess living someone else's life and shuttling all our belongings from place to place wasn't what she considered to be her American dream. With no other option, we moved onto the 20-foot sailboat docked at the 79th Street Marina that my dad had bought for a 1000 bucks when he was 18 years old. Unfortunately, it was the middle of winter, and there was no heating or proper plumbing on the boat and the arguing between my parents was getting progressively worse by the day. The tension was thick and suffocating, making it impossible to escape. Explosive outbursts that spawned violent rages were a frequent occurrence, with objects hurled at my dad, shattering and ricocheting dangerously close to us. My brother was too young to comprehend the reason behind these outbursts, but I knew that our dad had taken our passports and had hidden them from her. She tore apart every inch of the boat, searching for them until she collapsed in tears, sobbing uncontrollably. In a fit of rage, she violently swatted a cup of water off the table that my brother had offered her, in a naive attempt to make her feel better. Water splashed everywhere, dousing my brother and me. I rushed over to comfort her, but she swatted me away like a mosquito. Just give me mine then, keep theirs, she pleaded through the tears. She had reached her breaking point. She didn't want to do this anymore. She had higher expectations for her life. The daughter of a hairdresser and a mechanic, she was the first in her family to go to college. She'd done everything right, and yet she was poor, homeless, with two little kids in a foreign city. She unleashed her frustrations by hurling insults at him. She called him a loser, a failure, a broke bum. But he wouldn't budge. He wanted to have his family geographically close to him. It probably didn't help that the last time he visited us in Italy, we barely looked up from our game when he walked through the door, or that my brother would call any tall man with glasses papa. At four years old, I darted back and forth between my parents, coaxing my mom not to cry and pleading with my dad to give me the passports. Finally, he told me where they were, and I promptly told my mom. I felt it was my duty to make her stop crying as she was starting to scare my brother, who had begun sobbing uncontrollably too. 
I blinked and we were suddenly back at Grandpa's house. Grandpa says he's both our mom and our dad, but he's so much more than that. We rely on his small pension to make ends meet, and although we aren't rich, the refrigerator is stocked with delicious food, and he spoils us with ice cream, candy, and soda. When we run out of candy, I eat spoonfuls of powdered chocolate and as quick. And when that runs out, I turn to the cough syrup in the medicine cabinet. I'm a regular at the emergency room, and all the doctors know me by name. I enjoy going to the hospital. I especially love getting shots, often asking the doctors for more. The nurses joke among themselves that they've never seen anything like it before. I relish the brief sting of the needle as it penetrates my skin and the satisfaction of watching the liquid go in and the blood squirt out. The bright, sterile corridors emit a distinct smell of cleanliness that I find oddly comforting. I love wandering around and snooping on the other patients, but mostly, I love the warm, calming sensation of knowing that I'm going to be taken care of. Grandpa often comments on my parents' lazy parenting skills, and it's hard to argue with him. I can count on one hand the number of times that my mom took us to the movies or to a playground. The last time, she sat on a bench with her friends chatting and smoking a cigarette as I rode around her in circles on my tricycle. I patiently waited until she had smoked it down to the filter and innocently asked if I could step on the butt. She paused, and to my surprise, she handed me the still-lit cigarette. Instead of throwing it on the ground, I put it in my mouth and pedaled away as fast as I could on my little pink bike. When I turned around, she was curled over laughing uncontrollably while her friends looked on in horror. We didn't have a lot of money, so if I wanted something, I knew that the only way to get it was by taking it. Once my mom caught me red-handed. After a trip to the supermarket, I climbed into the back seat and began discreetly pulling out all my new acquisitions out of my pants. Among them was a jumbo pack of bazooka bubblegum. Just as I was about to pop another piece of the yummy pink bubblegum into my mouth, she spun around and caught me in the act. I braced for impact, but to my surprise, she asked me for a piece of gum, turned on the radio, and drove home. My mom never had us baptized, which is a sin in itself in a place like Italy. I was furious that she didn't care if we went to hell or not. When the local nuns and priests would stop by for their monthly visits, Grandpa would swear up and down that we had been baptized. I remember them nodding suspiciously while examining the room in search of any photograph of my christening. In Italy, those kinds of pictures are everywhere in the house. The refrigerator, the mantelpiece, the coffee table. They even hang them on the rearview mirrors of their car. They keep registries of these events, and watching my grandpa lie for me only made me feel worse. After a while, anytime the bell rang, grandpa would tell us to be quiet so we could pretend not to be home. 